right, let's go to our Bible study tonight. And let's go to the book of First Kings. Let's go to the book of First Kings. In First Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. Let's look at verse 12. First Kings 8 in verse 12. <clears throat> I hope you folks are enjoying going through the Bible as much as I do. I enjoy just go chapter by chapter and look what God has to say in His Word. But look at chapter uh, verse 12. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in a thick darkness. I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and had with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people, Israel, out of Egypt, I choose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build in a house that my name might be therein. But I choose David to be uh, over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Who's watching me on Facebook? You put that sound down there, John. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your blessings and your goodness. And Lord, as we look at this passage tonight, give us something we can apply to our lives. We can make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to look at God's house, a place that you and I want to go. God's house is a place that you and I want to go. Let me ask you this question. Why is so many people that want, don't want to go to God's house today? There's not a place they want to go, right? It's amazing how some people say that God, God's house is a, uh, it's a boring place to go. Church is boring. I like, what church do you go to? Uh, I found God's house a good place to go. Look what I got here. Friends. Family. Meet people every time. God. We meet God here. Isn't that wonderful? So, right here what we see is the dedication of the temple. Of course, I don't want to take this out of context. Uh, I don't want to do that. And I just lost my eyes. Oh, my eyes are down here. Okay. So, <laughs> can't see nothing without my glasses. Um, I think he's looking at those, those safety glasses every day of my job. And uh, it, sometimes you, you don't see much anymore after that. You have to have safety glasses all day long on your face. Let me put it this way. President Lincoln sp uh, spoke these words to, an Ameri to the American Congress. In December 1st, 1868, fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. Solomon 
could have spoken them to the Jewish leaders when he dedicated the temple during the Feast of the Tabernacles in the 24th year of his reign. So no matter where the, Jew, the Jews are in this world, what the century is, they have deep roots that goes all the way back to Abraham, of course, Moses, and David. So David's, King David is mentioned in this passage 12 times in this section, Moses three times, and during his prayer, Solomon referred to God's covenant with his father David, also to the covenant that God gave to Moses, recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 30. So the main trust of, of his prayer, of course we look, we're going to look here at the prayer of Solomon, is that God would hear the prayers directed towards the temple and forgive those who sinned, and his request is based on the, pro, on the promise given in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Israel's king were commanded to make their own copy of the book of Deuteronomy. What king of the house did Solomon dedicate that, uh, that day? So let me put it this way. We want our prayers to be heard. Right? I want my prayers to be heard. I mean, when I pray, I'm, I'm Lord. I mean, I never pray. I never prayed thinking or doubting that God's not is not hearing me. You ever been there? I never pray that way. Every time I pray, I know that God is listening to me. And Solomon here, of course, he based on the promise that he knows in Deuteronomy, he's praying and he knows that God is listening. So what kind of house did Solomon, Solomon dedicated that day to the Lord? Let's look at this from several points. Number one, we see a house of God. Look at verse one. That Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, and they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. So I believe this that, that, that it was a hard work, dedication, commitment to continue the work on the temple, and to come to this day. Can you imagine the hours, the effort, the work, the sweat that went on to put that temple together? But you know what? It goes like this, folks. If we have commitment, if we are determined, if we are willing to keep on going, it will come a day that what we want to build becomes reality. It's what happens here. They strive. They went through it. They did all kinds of stuff. But it came a, came a day that is the day of dedication. Isn't that great? That was the day. And you know what, Lord? We did it for you. Now we're going to dedicate it for you, Lord. Wow. I remember here. I don't know who was here. But I, don't re- I, mean, I was here. I remember when we, this place was cleaned up. And now all the work and all that we do. We stood here in the middle. And he said, let's give this place to the Lord now. Because all the effort, all everything that we did was for God. And everybody understood. So a house of God. I believe there was a lot of work and hard dedication there. Solomon gathers all the people for one purpose that day. The day of dedication. The temple is finally built. Solomon gathers all the people in that day. This is a moment of a great celebration. Solomon assembled at Jerusalem the leaders of the tribes of Israel and whatever all the citizens could attend from the north to the south, 
that they might assist him in dedicating the house of God. The word house is used 26 times in this passage and 27 times in Second Chronicles chapter 5 and 7. For this structure was indeed the house of God. But what made this costly building the house of the Lord? Not simply that God commanded to build and choose Solomon to build it, or that he gave the plants to David to provide the, the wealth to construct it. Those manners were important, but the thing that made this house the house of the Lord, listen to this, was the presence of the Lord in the sanctuary. You can have a golden building, but if God is not there, it means nothing. God's got to be in it. You follow that? So letter A, the ark was brought in. We see this in verse 4. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and the temple of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even the, uh, those did the priests and the Levites uh, bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor number for multitude. In verse 6 says, And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into the place, uh, into the oracle of the house and the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. And verse 7 says, For the cherubims spread forth uh, their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof, uh, thereof above. So the holy is, in the holy of holies, Jehovah was enthroned between the cherubims. The pagan nations had their temples, their altars, and sacrifices, but, but their temples were empty and their sacrifices useless. Let me put it this way, folks. There are many churches in our world. But there are, there are many churches who are empty places. Darkness. You see, but people go there and they have good intentions. That's the only thing that they got. It's good intentions. They mean well, but they're deceived. God is not there. When this temple was built, the nations around Israel, they had their temples. God didn't say, go to those temples and worship me there. No. Because God was not there. And the children of Israel, of Israel knew that. See, the true and living God dwell in the temple on Mount Moriah. That's why Solomon's first act of dedication was to have the Ark of the Covenant brought from the tent David had pitched for it in 2 Samuel 16, 17 and placed into the inner sanctuary of the temple. The tabernacle equipped and furnishing were also brought into the temple and stored there. So the Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of the original furniture that was kept in active service for nothing could replace the throne of God or the law of God that was kept in the ark. That this dedication service took place during the Feast of the Tabernacles was significant for the ark had led Israel uh, all during their wilderness journey. So the priest placed the ark before the Lord Cherubim, the iron had made whose wings spread uh, the width and, uh, of the Holy of Holies. So the cherubim of the original golden mercy seat took a look at each other while the new cherubim looked at the holy place where the priests minister. 
It is interesting what's going on here. Let it be. God's glory came down. Not only the Ark of the Covenant. We have God's glory that came down. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in a thick darkness. So the ark was but a symbol of the throne and the presence of God. And it was the actual presence of the Lord in the house that was important. So once Solomon and the people had honored God and placed his throne in the Holy of Holies, the glory of God came and filled the house. So the cloud, or the glory cloud, that had guided Israel throughout the wilderness, but uh, to, we see this in Numbers chapter 9, but now the glory came to dwell within the beautiful temple that Solomon, Solomon has built. As the glory filled the house, the priests praised God with voice and instruments for the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. When you come here, is ever God happy when you sing to Him? Oh yes, He is. He loves the singing of His people. God loves, there's something about music that God loves the singing of His people. We should be a singing people. Well, Pastor, I don't feel like singing sometimes. Okay, but when you feel, just sing it. <laughs> just sing it. Because God loves that. I mean, I'm a different guy. I like to sing. All right? And when I don't know the words, I put some words there. And I'm famous for that. And sometimes, and then I come back and I look at the hymnal and I'm like, oh, that's not the way I've been singing. Uh, but anyway, but God is pleased, you know. I think God is pleased with it. You know, it, it goes along, you know. You know but no, let's sing. Let's be singing people. So the presence of God's glory was distinct mark of the nation of Israel. The sins of the people caused God's glory to depart from the tabernacle in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19 22. But now, the glory had returned. The people had repented. But the nation would sin again. Isn't that how we are? Listen, folks, let me put it this way. Israel is a picture of all of us. There's sin against God. They reap the consequences. They ask forgiveness. God restores them. They're good for a time. They go down again. Do it again. Isn't that how we do it? That's why I say call, uh, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. Hey, Lord, I did it again. I can't believe I did it again. You know, I got mad at that guy that, that just crossed in front of me in the highway. I, Lord, it just came out of my mouth. Lord, I promise I will never do that again. Five minutes later, you're doing it again. Lord, I did it again. And sometimes uh, all the way to work is like that. <laughs> i like, oh, that guy. You're like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I pray for that guy. I never met him in my life. You know, just give him a safe ride. I won't do that anymore. Lord, somebody else says, oh, I need to go again. They stop praying all over again. You know, oh, oh goodness. I will, one time, was this was a funny story. I, I got on my car. I was all distracted. Got a camera in my car. Put the car in reverse. This is my job's parking lot. And the guy is like, boom, boom, bang, bangs in my car. He's like, 
Why are you banging in my car for? Oh. So I park the car and get out of the car. Sir, are you okay? I am okay, but you almost gave me a heart attack. I'm like, oh. But anyway, you know, we get like, oh, sometimes we think we all always right. Don't we do that? But anyway, all right, so Israel just like us. We all the time just keep going back and forth. Get this. <coughs> I'm sorry. The glory came to earth in a person of Jesus Christ. All right? In those days, the glory of God came in a form of a cloud. But the glory came to earth in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine when Jesus walked on earth, people was looking at the face of God? Wow. That's why I love that song, Mary Did You Know. She was looking at the face of God. The glory was among us. And many rejected him. Wow. Sinners crucified him instead. When Jesus returned to heaven, the clouds of the glory went with him. And the temple was left desolate. Since the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, God's glory was, came back again and now dwells where? In the heart of Believers. See, God did not just abandon us. God said, I am sending you my spirit. Isn't that wonderful that we have the spirit of the Lord in us to help us to see right and wrong, to see biblical things, to live for God? Until Jesus comes to take us to eternal glory, our privilege and, and responsibility is to bring glory to Him as we serve here on earth. Each local assembly worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth should manifest the glory of the Lord. That's why I'm so against these churches out there. Listen, we don't have a church to be like the world. That should never be like that. We should have a church where the glory of God, it is seen in a place. And when people come in, they say, wow, what experience. That is different. It's not come in and go to the nightclub next door. That's not the way it should be. And we go in the church to see the glory of God. So we worship together and we get out of the, the church and go, wow, God met with us today. That's the way it should be. Number two, the house of the Lord is a house of testimony. God not only graciously dwells with his people, but he also gives them his word and faithfully keeps his promises. That's the major theme of this section. For a, it is in Solomon's, I'm sorry, for in it, Solomon glorified God by renewing the history of the temple, of building the temple. Letter A, the mystery of God. The king was standing on a special platform, Second uh, Chronicles 6.13, facing the sanctuary. The priests were at the altar. So you see this in chapter 5, verse 12. And the people were gathered in the assembly, and all of them had just seen a marvelous 
manifestation of God's glory. Can you imagine you being there at that occasion of the temple and you see with your own eyes the glory of the Lord? A lot of hallelujahs went up that day. A lot of hallelujahs. Solomon opened his address by saying, look at verse 12. The Lord said that he would, he would dwell in the thick darkness. Well, well, one minute here. Isn't God light? Why does he say that? All right, okay. The Bible have mistakes. No, it's not. Okay, let's, let's, let's dissect this thing. Why speak of darkness when they had just beheld God's radiant glory? Listen, folks, Solomon was referring to the words of the Lord to Moses at Mount Sinai. Look at my, actually, go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. Sometimes people talk because they don't understand their Bible. <laughs> All right, look at uh, Exodus 19, 9, and keep your finger in, in 1 Kings. Look what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. The people could not see God. They would have to die. And, and, and uh, uh, Solomon is, is literally quoting back what God told Moses. There was indeed a thick cloud of darkness on the mountain. Exodus 19.16, Exodus 20.21. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.11 and Deuteronomy 5.22. And Moses went into the darkness with great fear. Hebrews 12.18-21. Solomon was connecting the events of that day to Israel's past experience at Sinai. For the people of God must not be cut off from their roots in history. You follow that? So, <coughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> we have to understand something here. When, when you read a verse in the Bible that you not understand, the Bible answers itself. Go backwards, go forward. You're going to find the answer. God is light and dwells in light. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, 1 John 1, 5. But, we cannot fully but he cannot fully reveal himself to men because there, men, there shall no men see me and live. Exodus 33, 20. The emphasis at Sinai was on hearing God, not seeing God. So that, that the Jewish people would be tempted to make images of their God and worship them. Let me put it this way. We have a lot of statues of Jesus around. Why? You ever ask the question why? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. I don't know what Jesus that is, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It looks more like a, an Italian Renaissance than anything else. Because that's where it came from. But Pete, that's how people is. Give me something and I multiply it. And God says, I don't want you to see me, because if you see me, you're going you're to make all kinds of image of me, and you're going to worship those things instead of worshiping me. Get that? That's why God says, you worship me in spirit and you are in truth. You believe who I am and you believe that I exist. You believe that I live and you, when you talk to me, you believe that I listen to you. When you talk to a statue, 
You talk to something that is dead. It doesn't listen. It doesn't talk back. So, like the church today, Israel was to be a people of the word, hearing it and obeying. David, King David, envisioned the Lord with darkness on his feet, and darkness as there is a mystery about God that humbles us, because we don't always understand him and his ways, but this mystery also encourages us to trust him and rest upon his word. Solomon didn't want the people to think that God was now their neighbor, and therefore they could speak to him or about him any way they pleased. God is always God. You know, folks, today we, many people kind to push God down to their level and say, oh, you know, he's like this and he's like that. No, no, no. God is God. He's high and lifted up. He is the Lord. He is holy. Look what it says actually, actually in uh, Habakkuk 2.20. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple that all the earth keeps silence before him. <clears throat> so like a servant reporting to his master Solomon announced that he had built a house to be God's dwelling place. <clears throat> Let it be. We see the goodness and faithfulness of God. For the past 24 years, I've been serving the Lord, folks, faithfully. And in the past six years, I've been serving him in the capacity of a pastor. It's my testimony to you that God is indeed, is indeed faithful. God is faithful. That God keeps His promises. All the years that I've been saved, I'm telling you, it's not been easy. It's been some difficult years. But God is always faithful. I never doubt Him. I never question Him. I never said, Lord, where are you taking me? God is faithful. Sometimes we don't understand, but he is faithful. As we look at the Jewish people, we can see how God, uh, how, God, how good and faithful God was to them. The Lord never abandoned them, even when they, re, they were rebellious, when they went uh, into exile. God faithfully kept his promise and went after them. God in his goodness and grace covenant with David concerning his family and his throne. So he included the covenant, the promise uh, of a son that would build a temple for, for him. Get this, what God, what God spoke with his mouth, he accomplished with his hands. In verse 15, and what he promised to David, he performed through Solomon. But God did these things for the honor of his name, not for the glory of David. You follow that? We should never do things for our glory. But for God. If I work in the church, it's for God's glory. If I serve in the church, it's for God's glory. Not for my glory. It's for Him. To God be the glory. Don't we sing that song? To God be the glory. Because He's the one who deserves. You know, I, believe me. There are people that want to pat on the back. I'm not saying in here. But through the years, I witness of people like that. They want to pat on the back. One man, one time at First Baptist, this guy was outspoken pretty much. And he went, the pastor was next to me. We just finished praying. I went Wednesday night. 
He comes to the pastor and he says to the pastor, listen, uh, I've been here for two weeks. I want to teach Sunday school. Which class are you going to put me? Wow. And the pastor said, well, usually we, you know, we let you stay a lot longer. And then we, you know, talk with you. If you don't give me a class to teach, I'm, I'm out of here. I look at the pastor and said, oh, you would never teach. I don't care where he is. I mean, I'm not a pastor. But I told him, like, you would never teach. He, he left. He said, you would never teach. What kind of, what kind of audacity is that? Listen, it's not about us. It's about him. If God wants to use me, he's going to use me. If God wants to sit me in the pew, he's going to sit me in the pew. We just need to learn to be content where he puts us. Lord, you mean to warm up the pew? All right, Lord, I'll warm up that pew. All right, I'll bring some extra cushion in there, and i warm up that pew. Lord, what are we going to do? Clean the bathrooms? Lord, I'll clean that bathroom for you. That's the heart of a servant. Number three. A house of prayer. According to Second Chronicles 6.13, Solomon kneeled of this special platform near the altar and he prayed this prayer with his hands lifted up to heaven. Now, our traditional way of prayer is we fall our hands, we close our eyes. That's not what we do. We get on our knees... Those type, that type, type of prayer was unknown to the Jewish people. How the Jewish people prayed? Some of them were put, lay flat on the ground. Others will put their hands up and look up to, I mean, spread their hands like that and look up to heaven. We don't see many people pray like that. I've seen some people. I have done that. We, but we pray differently. Uh, listen, nothing wrong to pray the way we pray. Don't get me wrong. But that's the way the Jewish people used to pray. They used to spread his, their hands or their arms and look up to heaven. So this practice was carried into the early church. Actually, <clears throat> go to First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. You will see there in the early church did the same practice in this type of prayer. Look what it says. I'll, I'll wait for you to get there. Look what it says. I will therefore that man pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You see that? The way they pray, they spread up their hands, put them up to heaven, and look up towards the Lord. That's how they pray. Solomon opened his prayer with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, the covenant making and covenant keeping. Listen, I'm not saying this thing about prayer here for Yahshua We mean We're not doing it biblically. It's not what it is. I'm just explaining the way they used to pray. Okay? You, if you want to pray with your hands open, you go ahead and pray with your hands open. If you want to get flat in the ground, you will go flat in the ground. If you want to pray sitting in your seat, you pray sitting in your seat. It's the heart. That's what God is looking for. Not the outward appearance. It's the heart, the condition of our heart. How we speak to Him. How we talk to Him. Look what it says in verse 22 of chapter 8. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above, on earth beneath, 
who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants, that walk before thee with all their hearts. So the words, there is no God like thee, compared in verse 23, also Exodus 15, 11, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39, he refers to God's covenant with his father David, the covenant that appointed, point, <coughs> I'm sorry, appointed Solomon uh, uh, as David's heir and the builder of the temple. So as Solomon prayed, he was overwhelmed by the contrast between the greatness of God and the insignificance of the work he had done in the building, in building the temple. How could Almighty God, the, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Almighty God, the, uh, the, the, uh, the of the heavens dwell in a building made by man's hand? Can you imagine that? How can God, the creator of everything, go dwell in a temple made by the, men's, the hands of men? Well, Solomon had expressed this, this same truth to King Iron before he began building the temple. Isaiah echoed, echoed the same words in Isaiah 66, uh, 1. Stephen referred to these words from Solomon in Isaiah when he defeated, uh, defended himself before the Jewish council. And Paul emphasizes this truth when preaching to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 17. So Solomon realized that God's Willingness to dwell, to dwell with his people was wholly an act of grace. The burden of Solomon's prayer is seen in verse 28 to 30. Look what it says. Yet have thou respected unto the prayer of thy servant to this to a supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant pray before thee today. And it goes on, keeps going down. Well, let me tell you something here. Something. Solomon knew, of course, the terms and the condition of the covenant dated Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And the calamities uh, he mentioned in his prayer are the very disciplines the Lord promised to send Israel if they disobey. Listen, same thing, folks, is the same thing today. We have blessings if we obey. We have consequences if we disobey. The same thing. We know that. That's practical living, don't we? If we live bad, we reap consequences. If we live good, we reap blessings. I mean, you know, some people don't, don't respect their body very well. When they get to a certain age, consequences come at full price. So we all understand what I'm talking about here. So, Solomon presented the Lord seven. Specific requests in his prayer. Seven specific requests. Number one, justice in the land. Justice in the land. Look at verse 31. If any man trespass against his neighbor, and then the oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath come before thine altar in thy house. It goes all the way to verse 32. So Solomon had, had begun his reign by judging between two women. We know that. But it would be impossible for him to handle every case of personal conflicts in the land and still perform all the duties of a king. Remember uh, Moses? Moses was taking care of all the people. What happened to Moses? His father-in-law came to him and said, you're going to kill yourself. You can't take care of all these people. You need to get people to, to help you. And sometimes we think we can do everything by ourselves, can't we? 
I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. And we go, oh, I can do this. I can do that. No, we can't. We're just humans, right? <clears throat> so priests were so available to apply the law and render decisions, of course. If a man was accused of sinning against his neighbor, the accused could take an oath at the temple altar, and the Lord would declare whether or not the man was innocent. So we go to, secondly, we see military defeat. Uh, defeat. We see this in verse 33 to verse 34. When thy people, Israel, be smitten down before the enemy, because they, may, they have sinned against thee, and shall turn against, uh, uh, again to thee, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, or bring them again into the land which thou givest unto thy fathers. That's a smart prayer right here. You know why? Because Solomon knows that we all sinners. We all do wrong. And we're going to fail. Say, Lord, if we do that, please forgive us. When we come back and ask, forgive us. Don't you like to be forgiven? Who doesn't like to be forgiven? Everybody wants to be forgiven. You know, from time to time we do wrong. From time to time we mess up. But when we recognize we in the wrong and we ask forgiveness, it feels good to be forgiven. So the children of Israel right here, Solomon, is reminded of the Lord. Lord, if that happens, forgive them. Number three, drought in the land. Look at verse 35. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they, they have sinned against thee. If they pray towards this, this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for inheritance. See, and Solomon reminds, I mean reminds, you pray to the Lord right here, yep, when your people sin against you and you bring drought in the land, when they come and ask forgiveness, forgive them, Lord. Wow. Number four, we see natural calamities. We see this from verse 37 all the way to verse 40. If there be, the land, if there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts, or if there be uh, uh, caterpillars, if there enemy beseech them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, with prayer and supplication, soever be made by any man, or by all thy people, Israel, which thou, thou uh, which shall known every man to plague in the, uh, his own heart, and spread forth his hands towards his house. You see here, natural calamities, he's praying for that. So God warned in the covenant that Israel's disobedience would bring divine discipline to them. It would send famine and uh, <clears throat> invasions of insects and various uh, sickness and plagues. However, if they obeyed the Lord, he would shelter his people in the land from these calamities. Number five, we see foreigners who came to pray. We see this from 41, verse 41 to verse 43. See, there were now resident aliens in Israel who settled in the land and had certain privileges and responsibilities under the law. Foreigners were people 
you came to Israel because they had heard of the greatness of the Lord and His temple. It was the responsibility of Israel to be a light to the pagan Gentile nations and to demonstrate to them the glory of the true and living God. The Jewish people had the same responsibility that we have as Christians. What is our responsibility when somebody comes to church to visit? To be what? A light. To be a light to them. They came in. What is our responsibility when we in the world to be a light to those who are lost? Well, when foreigners came to the land of Israel, they were there. They had to be a light to them. Remember Ruth? What did Ruth do when he went, she went to the land of Israel? She went to the fields to glean. You know that was designed by God? God told them, you leave these particular places in the, in the farmland. So when they come, they will glean on. They will have something to pick on. Interesting how God is. God thinks, thinks about even the, the most insignificant person. God says, they're important to me. Number six, we see armies in battle. Armies in battle. Look what it says in verse 44. If thy people go out to battle against the enemies, whatsoever thou shalt send them and shall pray unto the Lord towards the city which thou hast chosen and towards the house that I have built for thy name, then hear thou in heaven their prayers and their supplications and maintain their cause. When God sent his people into battle, it was a holy war. That would be won only by his strength and wisdom. Using the silver trumpets, uh, the best sounded uh, 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 that they used at the time, they, they signed the armies of, uh, uh, of God and they played those things purposely so God could help them. Listen, when you go to battle, when I say you go physically, go to battle, don't you ask God to help you? Lord, I'm in a battle. The battle of discouragement, the battle of doubt. There's all kinds of battles. Lord, I need you. We need him. In those battles, we need him. Because without him, we're going to fail. Folks, we all in this together. Battle of discouragement can be hard. The battle of doubt can be hard. I can go on and on and give you all kinds of names. But then even in the midst of a battle, the soldiers could look towards the temple and ask the Lord for his help. Listen, folks, we don't have to look towards the temple. We have to look up. We look up. That's the way Jesus prayed. And we look up towards heaven. I hope you have a place on which you look up. Listen, I like to pray in the church. I like to pray in my home. I like to pray in my car. But something about praying outside. I don't know about you. There's something about praying outside and like you just look up. Number seven. Defeat and captivity. Look at verse 46. If they sin against thee, for there's no man that sinned not, He's very practical here. 
and thou and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, so that they they, they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy far or near. So the pronoun there, they, I'm sorry, in verse 46 refers to the people of Israel, and Israel's history shows that the nation was prone to sin. All of us are sinners, folks. All of us are all of us are prone to sin. But God's special blessing on Israel and his covenant with them made they disobedient that much more serious. God took their sin very serious. Don't think that God doesn't take your sin serious. He takes your sin very serious. And then Paul says, we, uh, we, go on, oh, says we go on sinning that grace may abound. Uh, God forbid. It's only like, oh, I'm saved. I am saved. You know, I'm going to heaven. So I live the way I want. Really? Some people have that mentality. They don't think nothing about it. Like, oh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Really? By disobeying God's law and imitating the sins of the idolaters, neighbors, the Jews, with sinning against a flood of light. In the covenant, God warned that repeatedly, repeated rebellions would lead to captivity, and it happened to them. Listen, every sin comes with a warning. You got that? Every sin comes with a warning. We know the end result of it. And a lot of times we ignore it. That's what the Jewish people did. Even before it happened, God said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. You know what they did? They did exactly that. It's not like, oh, we didn't know. God said, I told you so. Same thing with any sin we practice today. I conclude with this. Solomon gave the Lord several reasons why the, the Lord should forgive his people when they repented and returned to him. After all, there were there was people whom he had purchased and delivered from Egyptian bondage. And by asking the Lord to keep his eyes upon the temple and the people who worshipped there, and to keep his ears open to the request of the people who prayed in the temp- at the temple or towards the temple. Let me tell you this. What people do we know that pray towards the temple? I'm sorry? There was people that used to be in the Bible that prayed towards the temple. One of them was Daniel, right? Daniel prayed three times a day towards the temple. He prayed. Nehemiah is another one. Someone in the Bible that declares that to us, that those people, they prayed towards the temple. What, they, what Solomon was asking here. We don't pray towards the temple. We pray, we look up to heaven. So Israel was no longer a pilgrim people, but they still needed the Lord to guide and help them. Solomon closed the prayer with the plea that the Lord now rejected him, the anointed king, David's son and heir. Look what it says in verse 42. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. God didn't turn away from him. He turned away from God. See the difference? God kept his, kept his promise. 
He did not. Same thing with us, folks. God does not turn away from us. We the one who, the ones who have a tendency to turn away from Him. God loves us too much to turn away from us. God is a God of love, and He cares, and He loves us. We, on the other hand, we can look at God and say, if you love me, why do you let this happen to me? And we begin to question God. And that's not the way it should be. I tell you, folks, we worship a wonderful God. A God that causes us to get out of our houses and to meet together for one purpose. We come here to worship the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? I know you believe that in your heart, otherwise you wouldn't be here. You believe that the God that you worship is real. And you believe that God that God you worship does the impossible. But you know what? There are many people who do not believe that. They don't believe that. So when you talk to them about God, they retaliate. Because they really don't believe. I had a, a visit today in my job for my old, old supervisor. <laughs> old guy. He's not an old guy, but he's up there. And uh, he looks at me and he says, I heard you, you don't want to, you, you want to work seven days a week. Now I look at him, I said, you said that to you. Oh, good, good. It's like an amazing how you react immediately because I used to invite him into church all the time. And one day he told me, he said, keep on trying because one day you might convince me. So I kept on trying and still trying. When I see him, hey, when you come to church? He told me, he's like, you never give up. I said, no, you don't give up. You keep on going for the Lord. Because you know what? Why? Because we believe. Isn't that true? If we believe, we want others to get it. If you don't believe it, then you, you don't say anything. You know? Let's put it like this. Let's say that you, let's say you went to South County and you took a walk on the beach and you saw this beautiful boat right on the shore. Just, you know, like what the weather just came crashing. And you're the only one that saw it. And you're so excited about it. What do you think you're going to do? You're going to tell everybody. Facebook. You try to tell everybody. Hey, there's a boat here. Why did you do that? Because you know it's true. You know it's true and you believe. Now, let's put it like this. If it's a made-up story... You probably won't tell anybody or tell a couple of people. And people look at you and say, are you for real? And you're like, yeah. Because you know it's not true. See, we talk about our God because we know it is true. We know that he is real. So we tell people about it. And sometimes we don't get a good response. But you know what? We still do it. In spite of it, we still do it. You know why? Because we know it is true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Thank you, Lord, so much for your house, the house of the Lord.